The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. That's one thing that I I can't allow. I can allow for not understanding. I can allow for um, confusion. I can allow a lot of things, but lack of effort can't allow. There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's this one thing that's not up for debate. All hunters and dog owners know you need the right gear, not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkey's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing, from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. Joe's actually joining me for the intro this week. Joe, what's going on, bud? Oh, you know, living the dream, drinking uh, some ugly dog right now. Ooh, what kind of ugly dog are you drinking? I'm drinking just the uh, the straight whiskey, man. Yeah? How is it? Oh, it's great. It's great. I've got a little <laughs> bit of a sugar-free uh, Coke. Um, I, I, I don't want to say the name because it would. it's a little uh, hippy-dippy. It's like this weird tonic water Coke, but it's it tastes great with some ugly dog, man. <laughs> trying to oh, trying good. to trying to watch my sugar intake, you know. I'm I don't want the dad yeah, bod okay. for uh for hunting. Yeah, I mean, hey, you're a month away from being, you know, the dad bod is uh come stock, man. It's a standard issue for you here in about a month. Yeah, there you go. But uh yeah, so you want to tell everybody what we have this week for him? We got Bob from Lone Deck. I actually really like this because it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a different world for, from what we're we're kind of used to. But um, yeah, 
man, Bob, oh, I, I was about to say old Bob. He's not old, but <laughs> I was like, Bob doesn't, doesn't mess around when it comes to his dogs, man. No, nah, he doesn't. I, I've been wanting to have him on for a while because I actually listen to his podcast pretty regular. And, and I even say in, in the episode that uh, I refer when we do have listeners ask for handling or just retriever specific questions, I, you know, I'll help them out if, if I can, if I feel like it's in within my uh, within my realm, I'll try and help them out. But anything over that, I'm just like, look, Go go listen to Bob at Lone Duck because he he's kind of like us in the retriever world. Is he, he's really relatable and a de, you know he, he focuses on trying to help people do it DIY. So he, this episode was fun, man. I had a blast recording this. This is uh, the type of conversations that really made me want to start podcasting and throwing this out there because it's it's fun, it's informative. You get a lot of how to and uh, is this blast? I, I really enjoyed doing this episode. Yeah, I got a little bit of a play-by-play from you as you were doing the podcast with him. As you were texting me, and you're like, "Man, we're we're still going strong. We're past an hour, so a little <laughs> bit of a longer episode for you guys." But that's uh, if you guys are hunting this weekend or anything like that, a little bit uh longer for that for for those drives you guys are making. Yep. Well, with it being a longer episode, well, let's cut this intro short. Let everybody uh, listen to what they came here for, and that's Bob Owens with Lone Duck and. Before you uh, listen to that, if you haven't already, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Gundog It Yourself. You want to throw a couple bucks our way, patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. And did I miss anything, Joe? No. And, uh, you know, support our sponsors too. Uh, I know Gunner has a couple of really cool things coming out. Um, mm-hmm. We need a. We need to probably check with uh with Conkeys if they got the new Garmin, but um, I'm sure they're they going to get it. At, yep. So they they got yep. it. So make they sure they already told me. There we go. Um, you know, with uh, I know that Gunner thing's going to be awesome. I think uh, I don't I don't know if I want to say what it is. I don't know if it's it, it's cool <laughs> if we do that, but uh, new Gunner pro- trading there. It's not even yeah. announced yet, man. Yeah, new new Gunner product coming out, and then a bunch of great stuff. I mean, Ugly Dog fueling this podcast right now yeah (laughs) it's all good stuff man well with that being said joe you can pour yourself another drink we're gonna go ahead and uh just hand this on over to bob appreciate it guys check you next week see ya picture this you just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion you've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall you think the day's over it's not though your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt no hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The 
Double Wall Rotomodal Construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody. We are joined with Bob Owens from Lone Duck Chronicles. Bob, how you doing tonight? What's going on, brother? Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. Appreciate you making time for me. You know, I've been, uh, I was just telling you earlier, I've been a fan of yours since you really started. And, uh, you know, I direct the majority of the people and the listeners that come my way asking for a bunch of retriever and handling uh, questions. I kind of just refer them to you and, and hopefully they, uh, they check you out and listen to you and then stay listening to us but i've gotten some good feedback that uh the people i direct to you that they love it because you kind of do something similar on what we try to do over here and you really kind of focus in on helping other people do it themselves and so it's it's really relatable and i just wanted to have you on and have a fun conversation about what you have going on with lone duck chronicles and lone duck outfitters and all that stuff i appreciate it yeah it's uh been a passion of mine to to help whenever I can so however I can whatever I can I enjoy teaching what I've learned because there's been so many people in my time doing this that is you know they let me sleep on their couch and train <laughs> with them and all of a sudden you know now I do it for a living but um you know there's so many people that have given back to me that being able to pass on a little tip or trick or drill or whatever is pretty fulfilling. Absolutely. I feel the same way. It's just, you know, I hadn't been in this as long as you have, but it's just anything that I learn or gain from somebody else, I, I just want to pass it on to the other person and make it easier to come by for for the next person in line. But for the for I think a lot of my listeners are probably familiar with you and what you do, but for those that aren't, kind of introduce yourself and and tell everybody what you have going on and what brought you to the gun dog world. Yeah, heck yeah. So, uh my name is Bob Owens. I own Lone Duck Outfitters. And about 10 years ago, I started a t-shirt and hat company that revolved around the gun dog world and what I coined the term unspoken bond. Um the relationship we share with our dogs, the memories we make training them, hunting them, um, time with family, everything in between. And that culmination of all the hard work that goes into it, you know, come duck season or upland bird hunting season, all that hard work pays off when the dog hammers a tough mark and brings that duck back to you or slams on point in the woods and out comes a grouse. I mean, that culmination of all that hard work in that one moment to me, is that unspoken bond. And uh, that's what we started our company, uh, uh, you know, again, 10 years ago. And about six years ago, I quit my day job and moved to South Carolina and worked for a buddy of mine as his young dog trainer. So I did horse fetch, basically six months old, 
you know, obedience, collar conditioning, steady, you know, the, the gun dog program, got him through T pattern. And once I got him through T pattern, he would move them through, you know, the higher level handling, um, up to master and finish level work. Um, after about a year of that, I moved back to central New York where I'm from and started my own business. Well, I guess I already had one with the t-shirt and hat company, but we started Lone Duck Kennels and I was taking on obedience clients. I was taking on a couple gun dogs and one thing led to another. We had one dog, two dog, four dog, six dog, 10 dogs, four dogs. And I'm like, Ooh, gosh, I gotta start paying bills. I, I can't have just four dogs. So I really pushed hard and we keep about 20 to 25 dogs at a time. I've got a small breeding program that emphasizes basically uh, my goal with my breeding program is a great family member, a great hunting companion, and a dog that can compete at a high level in the hunt test game. I'm not trying to create the next high rolling crazy dog that can mark 400 yards. They can, but I also want them to be, balanced. I'm trying to create a balance in my breeding program. So we've got a few females that are really nice. We've got a lot of stud dogs, or not a lot, but we've got a few stud dogs that are really balanced and really nice. We try and draw great characteristics from each dog to create a great family member, great hunting dog, and a dog to compete at the master level. Um, we still run the t-shirt company, basically, you know, the apparel company, mm-hmm. um, lifestyle brand, if you will. And then we start, my brother and I started our own podcast called Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, which you mentioned before, about a year and a half ago. And really, it's one of those things where it, I didn't know what it would do. You know, I, I didn't know anybody would listen to me BS drinking a beer with my brother. <laughs> and, and they started to, man. You know, they started to. And then I had a few of my buddies drinking beer and talking dogs and dog training. And, and these are some of the top trainers in the country that I've just gotten lucky to befriend mm-hmm. and, and invite them on the show. And an hour and a half flies by and we talk how they got into the game, training tips, you know, all sorts of shenanigans and it's evolved. And, you know, it's just, it's been a fun side project, I guess, you know, once a week we, make a dinner together with my brother and again, drink a few bush lights and, uh, rock out a podcast night and that's it. Send it out to the world. Some of them are fun. Some of them are great. Some of them were like, man, I think we had three too many, but it's all good. (laughs) It evens out in the end. So that's right. It's all good. So it sounds like even in your breeding program, you, you really focus on building that dog that, like you said, build that unspoken bond and a nice companion rather than just that high charge dog. What, what, uh, breed are you primarily working on in your kennel and your lines? Is it just labs or are you working on other, other breeds as well? My forte is Labrador retrievers, American Labrador retrievers. <laughs> I own an English setter. Um, her name is Andy. She's awesome. I'm sure we'll have a litter from her, but it's, she's not, you know, that's not my forte. Um, my brother, Kevin, who's on the podcast has a really beautiful field bred golden retriever. 
that has a junior title and we bred her last year to a master hunter and those puppies are a year old now into their first duck season and crushing it so at some point she'll get bred again but my my focus is labradors american labradors and uh you know man this it's why i got in the game i'm sure it's why you got in the game we want a dog that we can ride in the truck with that we can take to a kid's soccer game that we can ha- i can my nieces can play with and then you know saturday morning head out to the swamp and go pick up some wood ducks and and teal yeah absolutely so I mean, when you quit your day job to move into dog training, was it was it the lab that was calling you? I mean, was that what you were picturing in a gun dog? And is that really what kind of just drew you into the training game and and sparked that interest? Yeah, one hundred percent. So uh, growing up, we had a chocolate lab. Um, he was just a family dog. You know, he was the quintessential greatest dog I've ever owned, but most naughty dog you ever met. <laughs> jumped on the counters, you know, ran away from home and we'd be driving around in the car yelling for him. Hey, you want to go for a ride? We got a treat. Come on. <laughs> and he was, but he was the best friend. And, but there were some pivotal moments in that dog's life and my life that made me realize that someday when I grow up, I want to train a dog that can walk with me off leash and I can take on hikes and he won't run away from me. And, uh, he won't play the keep away game. He'll bring sticks back to me or whatever. Cause he was just a family dog. He didn't hunt. Yeah. So after college, I'm pretty sure my first paycheck, uh, went to a yellow lab named Buck and he, he was, you know, at the time I did all my research. He was out of a grand hunting trooper champion, master hunter. Mother was a master hunter. I don't think she had her hunting retriever champion, but she was just master hunter, great pedigree. And, uh, I got them for pennies on the dollar for what they go for now. So, you know, he started my journey. I was 22, 23 and every day before work, every night after work, we'd go on hikes, we'd throw retrieves, we'd get them on pigeons. We had them, we had them doing a lot of really neat things. And I poured my heart and soul into him. And actually, it's funny that we're having this conversation about Buck right now because the place I hunted ducks this morning was the same exact place I took him on his first duck hunt 10 years ago. And I haven't hunted it in probably five or six years. And it just so happened that we scouted it, saw some birds, and we're like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, And uh, it just felt... Oh, good, man. Um, it brought back a lot of great memories with that dog. I was about to say, it's always fun just circling back to some some beginning spots that you haven't hit in a few years. And how, how did the hunt turn out real quick? Uh, it was great. Um, it, I would call it slow, but it was methodical. So like every 20 minutes, you know, a bird would come in every half hour type of, type of deal. Yeah. And, you know, singles and pairs. And we ended up with a two-man limit of wood ducks, a teal, and a hen mallard. So, one bad. That's actually the type of hunts that I enjoy the most. It's always neat just seeing just, I mean, just getting swarmed 
right at the start at daybreak that's always fun don't get me wrong but i, I kind of like just slow and steady and really being able to enjoy it and then afterwards it's just like you know what we just had a nice fun consistent action hunt for a few hours <laughs> i mean it just that those are the mornings i really love uh whenever i do get to get out in the duck uh water yeah no I, we we said the same thing as we were paddling out it was like it wasn't fast paced, but it was, your head was always on a swivel because they were steadily showing up and they worked the decoys pretty well. You know, we, we did, we did well. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm proud of it. We not really a lot of missing, which I, I'm very <laughs> proud of, you know, yep. that's always a good we time. <laughs> yeah. We didn't really educate them. You know, we gave them, we gave them hell and we, we ended up eating them for dinner tonight. So there you it was, go. It was fun, man. We we had a great, great morning. Can't complain about that. Well, there, yeah, there, I mean, I got a few things kind of written down that I do want to touch touch base with you on because, you know, you're we don't have a lot of retriever guys on the podcast here, so it's definitely something that I want to touch base with you on. But also you, you kind of have a unique perspective doing retrievers and the versatile dog, so I want to get into that as well. But um, on the retrievers, just real quick, I mean, do you – only do retrieving work with your dogs or do you do a little bit of upland and flushing work with them as well? Um, that's a great question. So the dogs that I own and compete with, I do very little flushing work, right, wrong, or indifferent. My opinion is if I want to teach a dog to run a 400 yard blind and hold the line and take every cast and sit on the whistle and be beautiful. If I teach them to quarter and flush too much, then they're going to trust their nose and trust themselves a little more than they're going to trust me. And so I like right now I've got a six year old female named Memphis and we've, I, I have not done any flushing work with her until the la this last year. So we started, you know, easing up on her and letting her have a little bit more fun instead of just duck hunting and hunt tests and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and I'll kind of do the same with my year old dog that I have. I'm going to compete with her at a high level. I have high expectations for her. And so I don't need a flushing dog out of her. I have mm -hmm. other dogs that can do that. My old dog Buck that we were just talking about, that son of a gun, was the best pheasant dog I've ever hunted over bar none. Like still have to this day yet to hunt with a better flushing dog. You could, I mean, he learned where pheasants hung out. He would crash through thorn bushes and hedgerows and we'd be on either side of the hedgerow and he'd be in the hedgerow. He wouldn't bounce in and out. He would cover that whole thing. Nice. Stay within range. I mean, he just did everything from letting the birds teach him, you know, mm -hmm. he found where the birds were, we got him successful and, and it taught him, but can he run a 400 yard blind like Memphis can? No, sir. He can do it very well back in the day, but it wasn't precise. Like I'm looking for out of my competition dogs. Um, my client dogs, my gun dogs, um, they learn how to quarter and flush before they go home. So that way, when people send me their young dog, it can 
do duck hunting. They can take it pheasant hunting. They can do anything they want with it and it'll, it'll handle it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you kind of broke it out that way because, you know, when you start talking competition dogs and especially in the retriever worlds, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I think you even talked about this on a recent episode of yours as well. You know, there, there's differences between your, just your hunting dogs, meat dogs, whatever you want to call them, your trialers and your hunt testers. And just Mm -hmm. like you distinguish a difference between your competition dogs and kind of having them in your control and being able to do those extended marks and, and those, uh, challenges and you didn't want to develop that independent streak or, or too early with the, uh, flushing activity, you know, you, you had to kind of keep them in line. Can, can you kind of break down the difference between the hunters, the trialers and the hunt testers, uh, if for somebody just getting into the retriever world? Yeah. Um, man, that's a debate that has been going on for, for generations, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the guys and gals out there that just want a hunting dog, I don't need any ribbons. You know, I, I can point to dogs on my truck that their owners are like, I don't need any ribbons. I just want a good hunting dog. Well, the training is the same, right? I, I still teach them obedience. I still collar condition them. I still force fetch them. I still make them steady. I still do everything I would do if I wanted to run, let's say a junior hunter. As they progress to senior hunter, master hunter, things become more strict, things become more disciplined, things become more like the repetitions they they get every day, six days a week, you know, months on end. It becomes, you know, habit for them, but they're kind of under my thumb, right? Mm -hmm. If I say jump, they say how high, and we have fun doing it. It's not pressure, you know, it's not crazy. It's not hard on them. It's just routine. And we, and we crush it. A lot of reps, consistency creates good, good dog work. Um, with those, you know, quote unquote meat dogs or good old hunting dogs, you know, I want them to have an independent streak. I want them to get out away from me and put their nose on the ground and work the wind and, and find the duck that's 60 yards deep in the cattails and and not look for me for help. So there's a fine line. If Memphis did that, I guarantee you she would bounce back to me and be like, Hey bro, I I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, (laughs) am I on the right track here? Because usually you tell me what to do. And there's, that's the negative of having a dog that for six years, I've told her what to do. Yeah. She looks to me in those scenarios where I need her to be independent on a hunt. She, she kind of, is either going to hold a beautiful line and it's going to be really far and not where she needs to be or whatever, where again, go back to Buck as my example, he was that quintessential could play both games, but never the level that Memphis did because he kind of hunted a little too much. And there are, there are guide dogs out there, you know, that, that go and pick up 2000 snow geese, in a season, but couldn't pass a senior test, which is a double and a blind. They can do, they can pick up 12 snow geese in a spread and, and run a blind on snow geese, but they couldn't pass a senior test. It's, it's different disciplines. It's different expectations. They've got to follow rules. They've got to do it without an e-collar. 
in a lot of things on a duck hunt. Like today, we knocked a bird. She didn't really see it. I didn't. I have no idea where it really went, and it was crippled. I can't send her on a blind because I don't know where that sucker is. Right. And if you just say her name, she's going to go in a general vicinity and probably keep going. She's not just. So I got out of the blind. I walked with her. We hunted it up, and she found it. And bingo, bingo, we got our our hen Woody. Yeah. So, um, but but that's where maybe a more independent meat dog, I could have kicked it loose and said, come back in five minutes when you find it. Right. And that's, that's so, kind of how I explain when people ask about the utility of a nav to duck search with the versatile right. dogs. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in North Dakota hunting with a buddy who had a lab and he doesn't do high level competition, but just his, his regular training. It's, it's really dependent training it's it's a lot of handling with his dog and so we crippled a duck uh, across a waterway and he sent her and he guided her right there to where we saw it go down but it was crippled so it dove and then kept going and she just kept looking back she didn't know what to do and then we got a german short hair out that just uh you know decent just hunting dog and everything but had a little bit of duck search training sent him out and it took 20 30 minutes but he ended up coming back with the duck uh that's right you know that there is utility for it but there's also times to where it's it's kind of nice to just hey there's a duck over there go get it and you can put right. it right on the spot that's right so we had the same exact scenario so um i trained a dog named huey Huey's prize one. I like to say perfect score because it ticks off all the NABA people. <laughs> it's a maximum score. <laughs> That's right. Well, and so I bust chops. I'm like, well, what's the, what's the number one score you can get? Uh, 204. So if I got a 204, would that be a, would it, it's perfect. Couldn't have gotten a 205 if I wanted. Yep. So I tease. But, <laughs> but Huey, I mean, we had a crippled bird and it was in a precarious, position in the pond and he had duck searched enough and it was like 20 yards away from him but to reach it it would have been so easy to just go tweet yes back and he would have hammered it but he he just got in his own head he was on this little like not a muskrat hut but it kind of looked <laughs> like it you know what i mean like yeah. just like a he was on this thing and he's just standing there like, I don't know where else to go. I've kind of checked it all out and he's not that far from the duck. Yeah. So for me, I'm sitting there, the lab guy going, boy, wouldn't it be nice if you could just say, Hey, angle back right there, buddy. And he'd be on it. Yep. And then today with Memphis, wouldn't it have been nice if I had that duck search esque hunt where I could have just kicked her loose and said, come back when you get it. You know, it, it's, that's that's why I say, in my personal opinion, and I haven't had this myself, but one day I will, is you have a dog that you can send in a specific area and then give them a, a hunt them up or search command, and you can flip that switch from dependent to independent like that. Uh, yeah. You know whether that's really realistic in what I'm talking about or not. That's but that's to me would be the perfect dog to where you can put them on a dime out in the middle of the water but if you need to just say hey i don't know where it's at use your nose that's that's, that's what right. the goal is for me eventually one day 
Well, so what we're trying to create here is the perfect hunting dog, the perfect dog all around. And every single day I try and create that for myself and for people. And every single day, that should be our goal is to have enough discipline and control to A, they're enjoyable to hunt with, B, they know. And then I also think that there is an education that comes straight from hunting. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, dogs that get hunted a lot, but their owners maintain control and, and, and the same things that they teach, like, let's just say a master hunter, Mm -hmm. you know, in an AKC master hunter retriever test, they got to do triples. They got to do blinds, double blinds, through old falls under the arcs. They got to do some really complicated stuff. If I hunt that dog dog and they pick up a thousand birds in a season, I could I would be willing to bet you that that dog would be able to comprehend the ability to be independent and be under control for sure. Yeah. Where, where, you know, let's be honest. I like to hunt ducks, but I don't kill a thousand. I might kill a hundred over Memphis a year and be like, hell yeah, we got them. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and we hunt hard, but like today we killed eight ducks. That's not, you know, that was a hell of a day. We had an awesome hunt, but great hunt, a lot of memories, best time ever, only eight. Yep. So she got eight opportunities to build hunting experience. Right. And that, if she picked up a six man limit, so six times six is 36. Yep. That's, you know, way more. I don't know. I'm not a mathematician, but <laughs> I think if anybody listens to my podcast, they'd learn I'm a, I might be six times six might not even be 36. I might've made that I up. I just pulled I up a know. calculator. You're good. All right. Thank you. Yep. But that would be 36 times the, like that's, that's every duck they pick up in a hunt is experience. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's the difference, man. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's it's the tough. tough thing, man, is, is kind of weighing out your opportunities. Everything's an opportunity cost. Cause of course, you know, you, you have client dogs, you have your training program, you have your kennels and everybody has their lives. It's, it's hard to get as much opportunities with what we would obviously dream of to build these perfect hunting machines and hunting dogs and companions. But at the end of the day, you have to pick and choose, you know, it's like you have your competitions in your business that you have to keep going and then family life and everything, you know, not everybody's in a position to where they can chase that migration and get the thousand retrieves per season to build that dog. But then the guy chasing the the migration, you know, maybe he's too busy hunting and chasing the migration to really do the competition. So, I mean, everything is a give take on this and you just really have to pick and choose what's important to you and, and what you enjoy. I agree. You just, we all do the best we can, mm. you know, and, and go out and have fun doing it. I'll put it in grouse perspective. That little setter I was telling you about Andy, we had a hunt that she, I don't know, maybe three years old. This is her third season. So okay. Third. I don't know. I don't know how old she is. I'm bad at it. <laughs> but last year we had a grouse hunt where I had 15 points on grouse. Mm. Now, before that, she had one, two, bumped two, pointed one, bumped four, you know, and, and then like that was her whole season is eight grouse contacts the entire season. Yep. Well, we almost doubled it in one morning. Yep. That morning, 
literally changed her. And now she outpoints every dog she hunts with because she just, it clicked, man. It clicked. Am I, could I pass her in a nab to test? Hell no. (laughs) Could I win? Could I pat, could I go to a grouse field trial and win? No way. But, but that light bulb switched in her brain and she she started a grouse dog and she became a grouse dog. That's right. And so if you can get that with a duck dog and maintain competition standards, you're in the money, baby. Absolutely. So let, let's just continue on that route when, you know, you went into the, the pointing dogs and the versatile dogs. So, you know, like we said, you've kind of dabbled in the, in the versatile game and NAVDA dogs. What, what has been your experience up to now within NAVDA? You know, how, how much have you done with it and what have you, what's been your overall thoughts and impressions on it so far? Oh, you're going to, I'm going to get hate mail. Uh, we all, <laughs> no, it's I'm, all good. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing. Um, I have limited man. I basically every versatile dog I trained is, is a buddy of mine. I've trained, you know, other people's short hairs, uh, a couple of and a couple, you know, wire hairs and my setter, my brother's setter. Um, but when I have trained 250 Labradors to 25, maybe 45 pointing dogs, mm-hmm. it, that's a major difference, right? Oh, like, yeah. I don't need 45 is probably a stretch truthfully. Um, so this is, I would say new to me, right? Like compared to the other guys who trained 250, you know, UT prize ones. Yeah. Um, I train them like I train a damn lab. I don't treat them any different. I do. I go against the grain of what the little green book says. (laughs) Um, I, I force fetch them just like I force fetch a lab. I force fetch them just like, you know, at the same age, um, I get them on birds. I, I use pigeons mainly, um, and I shoot pigeons for them. And then we migrate to chucker, um, as we're getting ready for their utility test. Um, I, the reason why I think I've had some success in NABDA is because I train them like a lab and I don't put stigmas on them. I still train them like a dog. You know, everybody's got a different personality. Every dog progresses at different rates, but I teach, I mean, I've got a short hair on my truck right now that can stomp front foot 200 yard marks. Oh, wow. At Huey's utility test, they wing clipped a bird and it sailed off over a hill like, way 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 gone and the judges looked at me like "Uh oh buddy i'm sorry because he did everything perfect i mean this dog's cruised through the whole test this is the last bird he's got a point and pick up and the sucker sailed 120 yards over a hill out of sight and they just said you have to send him that his name he hauled butt and went and picked it up clean and brought it back to me and if i didn't train him like a labrador and was just throwing hand thrown bumpers for him. There's no way he'd have gone that far and, and, and hammered it. Yeah. So, um, with that being said, I've had really good experience. They've all been buddies, dogs, um, that trust me. We've, I think you, Huey was maybe two years old at his UT test. Maybe. Yeah. Um, his duck search was good. It wasn't, 
as expanded as some people would like, but he crossed the pond, hunted the other shore, came back in the water, went over here, went over there, went this way, that way, all other ways, was out there for a while, and that was it. I mean, he did a good, intelligent duck search. Um, I trained a dog. My first utility prize one dog's name was Izzy, and uh, my friend trained her. And I basically, he got, had kids, he doesn't have time for it, but he wanted a fried NAVDA. Right. Oh, so we were, we trained her all summer, got her all tuned up and we ran her and she did great. She was very independent. Huey was more my team player. She was like, shut up and say my name and point, you know, put me in a field and let me at him, baby. <laughs> um, she was a really good dog though. Probably one of the best short hairs I've ever touched. Um, I've got a couple dogs that have uh, NA prize ones and it's fun. It's a different game. I, if I had to critique NABDA one, one way, and this mm-hmm. is the only critique I've got is I wish that people got to run more tests. Yeah. I wish that there wasn't a one and done scenario. Yeah. Like for our, our case and the retriever AKC test, we've got to pass, uh, five to six master tests to get our title. So that means you and your dog have to work an extended period of time. You have to be, you have to pass the standards at least five to six, you know, five to six times yep. to earn your title. You could have a UT prize one perfect score. See what I did right there? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, but the next weekend it could come out and decide it's going to blow you off on the duck search because it doesn't feel like doing it that day. Oh yeah. And I, and I feel like that's the one thing about NABDA is if you have a dog that is capable of it, you've trained a great dog, but I like to see consistency out of those dogs that anytime you pull them out of the trailer or truck, they can come out and drop the hammer and look good and have fun and, be consistent, not yep. just cram all summer long and run a fall test. And then they go back to their old ways. It's like me in college. I used to stay up all night, pass cram. the test and have no idea what that <laughs> test would have done the next day. Yeah, no, that's, that's, my that's, that's a great point because I mean, anybody that's been in the NAVDA game that they, they've seen it to where maybe it's a training partner or buddy that that's training this dog for utility tests and you swear up and down that, there's no way this dog is passing. And then it just shows up at test day and it's just, it puts together the perfect day for that dog and just nails the utility test. And then vice versa. You see this dog that's just consistently, you swear up and down, it's getting a prize one and then it just has a bad day and right. you know, it goes both ways, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's kind of, you know, it, it's just that one test day and then, yeah, you can go, go do the invitational and get that BC uh, but then you're, you're, it's just that again, it's just one test. And so you're working for one test every year, pretty much. And then, uh, after that, it's like, all right, let's, let's go find a new game, whether it's only hunting or you're going to go do some AKC hunt tests or maybe some shoot to retrieve trials. But yeah, I, I definitely get what you're saying about just, you know, maybe doing something to where it, it shows more consistency in the dog. And I can pick right. on myself 
for that matter. I have two utility tested dogs and I had a guy out here yesterday. He just contacted me saying, Hey, I got this new pup. You know, can you help me out? Sure. He brought, brought some birds up, helped his dog out. And then I get my two utility tested dogs out, put a few birds down for them and half the birds, they did not handle what they're trained to do. You know, half of them, they did perfect. And then half the other half, I just looked at them like, and that is not what they're trained to do, but it's just, you know, you know how that (laughs) goes with dogs. Sometimes they're just like, Oh, there's no e-collar on me. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, every dog has his day. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's just, it's just funny. And I, that, that is a good perspective because you know, I've, that's, it's true from all my experience and it is, um, that I almost think like if if they could do, let's say three utility tests to earn their utility title and first to become a prize one, you know, something to that effect where it's like in, and the other thing that makes it hard for NABDA is you can only run X amount of dogs in a day at a NABDA test. Yeah. So I don't know what the max number is, but I think it's like six or eight or nine. Yeah. Where if you, if you do utility, then it's six dogs a day. If you're doing NA, it's 10. They changed that this year with the virus. They kind of changed it to where they could fit more dogs in per day just to kind right. of catch up on the tests that they lost in the spring. But yeah, you are limited on a smaller dogs per day kind of basis. Right. We run 60 dogs in a day, mm. you know, and, and granted the tests are different i mean the utility dogs have to run a half an hour in a field you know <laughs> yeah. we we run 10 minute tests with a dog yep. and then the next dog's up and it's it's like a well-oiled machine but they bang them out from you know 8 a.m 7 8 a.m until you know 7 p.m on saturday and then on sunday we grind it out until we go home mm-hmm. but long story short i love navda i have a ton of fun doing it and it's a different kind of challenge that I'm not used to, but I've enjoyed learning. I've enjoyed creating, uh, I think, a, an extremely well-rounded, yeah, well, the term would be versatile dog for their <laughs> owners. Nope. And, um, you know, it, it's pretty cool, man. And I think it's great people, too. I've never met a person in NABDA I didn't like. And uh, I think that speaks volumes yeah. for sure no it it, it is it, it's kind of that element of you know trialers versus hunt testers you know there's a sense of community as far as hunt testers because you're graded against a standard and not it's not a direct competition so you do especially right. at nab to have kind of a community where everybody's goals whether you know whether you personally don't like somebody or they don't like you it doesn't matter if their dog is up, you're going to do everything you can to help them and create the best dog possible, which is what it's really about at the end of the day. I couldn't agree more. So, you know, I do want to touch on, I found it interesting that you said that you don't train the versatile dogs any different than your labs. So with that perspective, take your average lab. I know that we're talking generalization and dog dog breeds and stuff like that and that never really pans out right you're gonna piss off somebody on one spectrum or the other but take your average lab that you train uh when it comes to retrieving specifically say handling or something and then you take your average 
uh, versatile dog. How does that kind of compare with your versatile breeds compared to the specialists? It's that's, you know, quote unquote, that's what they're bred to do. That's in their genetics. Mm. Mm. <laughs> All right. I think, I think I know what you're asking me. I would say the general terms that I've found with the versatile breeds that I've trained is that water work doesn't always come as naturally to them. And therefore the ones that it isn't like the best thing in the world, I've got to work extra hard to create positive water environment. Um, then there are some that don't have as much retrieve drive. So they, I don't know, they'll balk at certain things or come out of force fetch with a sour attitude where other dogs, you can just, Hey, Hey, throw them a fun bumper. And we're right back to square one in a happy, excited dog. Um, like I, I had one short hair that, I mean, after force fetch, you couldn't throw her a bumper. It had to be a bird. And it took about a month. So she was like, Oh, cool. I'll, I'll go and have those bumpers again because (laughs) she resented the bumpers. Right. And, and that, that's fine. I mean, they're all different. And again, we're trying to talk in generalization. So I don't like to pick out one dog that gave me a hard time on X. Right. I've found that a lot of the versatile breeds were a lot tougher to force fetch and a lot tougher to like, some of them are a little bit harder mouthed Mm -hmm. um, than the average Labrador. Um, what else? I feel like Sometimes they were harder to start, but then once they, once it clicked and I had them decide it was their idea, or like, mm-hmm. oh, I love, I love this stuff. This is my idea. <laughs> then it was like, you, you're in. Cause once it cl- that clicks, they'll go anywhere and do anything to go and get that bird or, or whatever. Um, I would have to say probably one thing that I'm not excellent at, and it's probably good for my clients, but my dog, my versatile dogs don't range super far. Yeah. And, and again, give or take, like if I'm trying to critique myself, that would be one thing I notice, um, different. So mine will range 50 to a hundred yards in the field mm-hmm. versus some dogs who will carry like a massive cast right? and, and cover the entire field super quickly mine are a little bit more probably quote unquote under control because they are under control because I put a lot of obedience and discipline in them that a lot of other versatile guys and gals won't they'll let them get away with a lot more at a younger age. So I have found that my dogs, I mean, they're still stylish on point. They're still confident, but they're not real rangy to some people's standards. Now, I like that because I like watching the dog work. Yes. Yeah. When I'm when I'm hunting, I don't want them to be 200 yards away from me and I come over a hill and they're on point. I want to watch that whole process of the birdiness and locking up and sliding into point and you know statuesque like so it, it, you know it's a balancing act, but that would be one critique that I would look in the mirror and say my versatile dogs don't get out there and take a 400 yard cast and, and run a tree line till it ends. 
Right. And that, that makes a lot of sense, especially like you said earlier, you train them the same exact way you do with lab and what, you know, what are you doing with your lab labs? You know, a lot of the stuff is kind of closer to you and especially even in the upland work, when you have a lab, it's going to be closer to you. But then when you send them, they, they'll extend out. So that, that's pretty interesting. Uh, real quick, just for the dog that was refusing bumpers at, at the end of force fetch, what was the trick? Did you, did you, uh, put the wing on the dumber or dumber dummy? Uh, <laughs> you know, what, she what, was a dumber. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what was your, your trick? Was it just kind of repetition, just kind of working your way through it? Or did you have a little trick that, uh, helped you help you, uh, get her back on bumpers? Um, and truthfully i still wrestle with it sometimes um i i made her do it right so Mm -hmm. i we did a lot more bird work we created a lot more positive for a while um crippled duck or not crippled but uh shackled ducks that threw her to the roof and back i mean she was she loved that stuff so on marks i would throw shackled ducks uh or just dead ducks and she was great at it and then we slowly did bumpers and what would happen is she'd go and get the first bumper and then be like screw you you're throwing bumpers i'm not going (laughs) and so i did but as a dog trainer i can't let them be successful at quitting right so i had to i had to make her do it whether it was ear pinching her all the way to the bumper, sitting her down, you know, at the mark, sit her down, mm-hmm. walk all the way back to the line and call her back to me and then praise the heck out of her and then either throw her a fun bumper and make it good and end on that note. So it was good. Um, but it took me, that wasn't like a one week fix. A lot of folks, you know, are looking for a, a one or two session fix. Like, Or they do a, they do a drill for, you know, two or three times. Like, Oh, (laughs) he did it. It, It's done. Like, no, this, that was like a two month process of getting out of force fetch, creating pot. And, and mind you, I'm not hard on dogs either. I I'm very pretty even keel. So this wasn't a, I crushed her and, and really broke her down and, and took it out of her, it was, it was her mentality. And I had to change that mentality into a positive, but also be willing to fight that battle when she was not trying hard. Right. Um, that's one thing that I, I can't allow. I can allow for not understanding. I can allow for, um, confusion. I can allow a lot of things, but lack of effort, I can't allow. It's got to be, you got to try hard. If you give me effort, I'm going to give you all my patience. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. But if you're just not trying, I mean, if you know fetch and I tell you fetch and you go and pick it up and then I throw it 20 yards and you run out there and turn around and don't want to pick it up, that's lack of effort. So um, we had some battles and it took me a while to win those battles and then teach her that it was way better to just do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, this is fun too. And we were in. So that, that's what it took, man. It, it wasn't easy. And, and, 
you know, duck search is going to be hard. Yeah. But I think with duck search, you know, the fact that we're going to be using real ducks. Yeah. We're going to be just fine. That'll like, fire up a dog that has zero retrieve drive at all. Uh, it, duck search, it works out a lot, lot of ways. I mean, I, I, I've advised some people that just some dogs that just don't have the most bird drive in the field. I'm like, move on to duck search. And they kind of look at you a little strange. I'm like, just move on to duck search. Get a couple good duck chases in them. And guess what? That drive's going to get, mm-hmm. get amped up and it's going to translate into the field. Even though you're in the water doing a duck search, it, it, it'll translate and it'll help you out. But I like what you said Absolutely. there about it wasn't a quick fix because so many people, you know, they, they, they just want that solution that and that easy answer to where, Hey, go out in your backyard three times, do this and the problem will be fixed. Well, if it was that easy, right. then everybody would have the perfect dog. Uh, sometimes it's right. some, some challenges you just, you have to stick with it and ride it out. And like you said, you set the bar and expectation and what you just said, it's you, you can, you can accept a lot of things, but if the dog is just refusing and, and lack of effort, that's, that's one thing you, you have to win that battle over time. Right now. Remember, remember I told you I had a short hair that could go front foot, a 200 yard mark. Yep. That's that dog. Interesting. Oh, yep. <laughs> wow. Yep. Uh, I know. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. So, uh, yeah. So it's it's not lack of retrieve drive or ability. It was lack of effort, dude. Yep. It was. I see plastic. I could care less about plastic. I'm not doing it. You know, yeah. if you threw a duck, it was, you know, trying to break, crazy for it, ready to roll. Yeah. So it was complete lack of effort that I had to fix and teach and then make it good. And, you know, we're back to Russian for sure. But yeah, it's not for uh, her lack of ability. It was her attitude. Wow. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I had a bunch of stuff written down that I wanted to touch on you with, especially about like yeah. you know, marking and, and handling and all that. But I, I just don't think mm-hmm. that we're going to have time tonight with that. Uh, you know, may have to have you back on to kind of walk us versatile guys through through that process. And uh, some. I mean, truthfully, Ben, I got time if you got time so we can hey, hammer some of them out. It, yeah, let, let's go for it. Uh, all right. Let's let's start. When you get a puppy home, you know, this is obviously before force fetch or anything. What are you doing with a puppy that you're slowly introducing the retrieve drive? It's fun and you're you're planting the seeds for hand signals, marks, blinds, whatever. You know, are there just things in your everyday routine, whether it's feeding, whatever, that you're doing that you feel directly translates into that down the road? All right. Great question. I am going to play a lot of like little devil's advocate. So I don't do a ton. And I know that that is counterintuitive, but I think some people get so hyper-focused and overdo it with a young dog. I mean, a baby that they push that baby as if like, That'd be like me asking my three-year-old niece to sit down and do cursive when she can do the ABCs and she's learned the ABCs. So 
I want to make sure that that puppy, the big things for a puppy is socialization. Mm-hmm. Number one, I want it to go everywhere, do everything, meet everyone. I want it to go on hikes. I want it to be super, super, super confident. Because confidence is going to translate in the future in a dog that will go further, go harder, try harder, and feel like they can take on the world. So at eight weeks old, I don't want to be scared that the broom fell over or that a pan (laughs) dropped on the floor or um, whatever the case may be. I want them to be like, I can take on the world. So I'm going to build a lot of confidence as a puppy and make a lot of great um, retrieve drives. I do that. Mm So fun bumpers. I don't sit a dog down, hold their a puppy. I don't hold a puppy and throw the bumper and then say their name and send them and make them be steady. That is unacceptable. We want to rev them up. We want them chasing the bumper in our hand. And as soon as they're about to grab it out of your hand, you toss it. And so they're, they're, you're building that chase. You're seeing, they're seeing that throw and all of a sudden there it is. They go and get it. And if they bring it back, congratulations. If they don't keep doing it. Um, I always say throw two to three retrieves and then put the dog up wanting more. And at the last like six months, I've had a lot of people come back and say, you know, this dog doesn't have retrieve drive. I'm having a hard time. And some of these puppies are coming out of my breeding program. I'm, I'm thinking there's no way, there's no way. So what, when they come and train with me and what I see is they haven't even unlocked the retrieve drive yet. And so they are doing two or three retrieves and putting the dog up sort of wanting more, but sort of also looking at the leap that flew by and looking over here where I might do 10. And at that 10th, it's like, holy cow, this is the greatest thing in the world. And then I put them up <laughs> yeah. and now I've created the drive. And so you have to read the situation. You have to read the puppy. You have to read the timing. You have to build and, and you don't want them going and laying down in the shade because you, you threw too many and you don't want them going and and retrieving it and laying down and chewing on it. But you want to unlock the, this is a lot of fun. I'm having a great time. Oh my gosh, let's do it again. And when that clicks, now you're making progress. So building retrieve drive is huge. There is plenty of time in that dog's life to study them up plenty of time. So don't do that too young. Um, and then, you know, from a puppy, I mean, I'll get them on some live pigeons. I'll get them chasing feathers. I'll throw them birds. Um, I want to create, this is one thing for the versatile folk, water, 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 (laughs) water, 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 water. Get, if you want to duck hunt your versatile dog, get them in the water young. If you wait until they're older, your job is going to be so much harder because it's not, they they may be versatile, but it isn't their natural. Right. Right. Like they may be versatile, but they're way better at pointing than they are at retrieving, or they may be great at retrieving, but they're not great at pointing. Like they're not 100% all encompassed, perfect at all of it. And -hmm. generally what I have found water work tends to be, 
a, a thing. Yeah. And so if I've got an eight week old German short hair pointer that I can build retrieve drive and get him swimming, then I guarantee you my duck search is going to be easy. My NA test is going to be easy. My duck hunt is going to be easy because at eight weeks old, he learned that water wasn't scary. Water wasn't intimidating. Water was super fun. Yep. So water, water, water for you versatile folk. I agree. And that goes for every, every breed water young in a positive way, introduce some positive way. You're going to have way easier time later in life. But I really have found that the versatile dogs that come in my program who've already been swimming and love to swim are way easier to train for the more advanced work. Yep. I agree with that. What about, I mean, is there anything again, just going back to daily routine and not so much drills or, you know, quote unquote training sessions, uh, whether you're doing the, the fun bumpers or, you know, down the hallway or whatever, is there anything that you can incorporate that really plants that seed? Like I know I've, I've talked to a few people that, you know, the food bowl, they'll, they'll put the food bowl down and then point to the left or right, whichever direction they put the food bowl down. I mean, do you really think that that really translates over time down the road to, you know, maybe making some, uh, some handling a little bit easier when you get there? I don't, not necessarily. But what I do find is it creates patience. It creates discipline. It creates structure. It creates a, an ability to learn. Mm-hmm. You're teaching the dog how to get a reward. So do I think I taught a puppy over by casting it to a bowl and then go out to tea pattern and all of a sudden it's doing beautiful overs? <laughs> no, not, not once. But what I did learn is that that dog ha- has the ability to learn or not that what I learned, but like I've taught the do- dog how to be successful, how to get rewards, how to try hard, how to be a team player, how to be patient, how to, you know, do what they're told and then get a success at the end. So I think there is positives to it, but I don't think you're going to have an easy time at VC because you taught your 10 week old puppy to cast to a bull. Um, another thing that I have found people do, and this is life is about balance folks. A lot of, like I just talked about socialization, people, places, and things, take them everywhere with you. I had a buddy, he took his puppy, well, the dog's in my truck right now, took him to work every day, rode in the truck every day, played with the kids every day. And then at five o'clock, he'd go home and try and throw retrieves. Well, the dog was exhausted mentally and physically at, you know, five months old, six Mm -hmm. months old. So he didn't really care to retrieve because all day long he was stimulated. There is a balance with crate training and putting the puppy away where they have time to sleep, where they have time to be alone, where they have time to build some energy reserves, where they come out and they're a little bit of a bat out of hell. (laughs) And now you've, now you've got something to work with. And so there's a fine line between overstimulating and letting the puppy be free all the time and creating boundaries and creating quiet time and then pull them out when they're ready and, and uh, you know, not tired anymore, not mentally stimulated. They're like, what are you going to do? What are we doing? What are we doing? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Now's the time to work. Yeah. 
No, that's, that's a great tip and great training. Yeah. I mean, I talked to a few people that say, you know, I, I don't know if I want to crate train my dog. It's going to be locked up all day while I'm at work. And you know, that's just not fair. I'm like, man, the dogs don't look at it that way. You're, you're looking at a puppy, especially if you're talking about crate training, you're looking at a puppy with a very short attention span and they need so much sleep and everything, like you said, is just stimulating to them. I mean, it's just, you, you need to give them that recharge time so that you get that enthusiasm and interest from them when it's actually time to work and introduce some, some new lessons or training or experiences. So that that's a very good tip. Absolutely. So let's fast forward a little ways. You know, we were just talking about puppies. Let's talk about the dog. We're not going to get into force fetching all the steps because I know you've broken that out a million times. We have as well. Let's just get to the point to where, you know, we've done the force of the pile stage or you're done with force fetch or whatever. Let's go into the actual, what are the drills that you go into that really brings out the handling skills? You know, I know you mentioned T pattern and wagon wheel here and there. Are those the two that, is that what you're going into next? Walk us through that. So after I force, yeah, just to break it down real quick for folks. After I force fetch a dog, I force him to a pile. And what that means is I transition the fetch command and they leave my side and pick up, you know, a bumper 10 feet away. Transition from fetch to back. And so now I'm incorporating a new command where they're turning pressure off and succeeding by going and retrieving something and bringing it back to me. I now extend my pile a back pile so it's a white pole with a white milk jug on top of it and it's 50 yards away and i start close and i back up but i'm teaching them to turn the pressure off by leaving my side and i might do a little in route force where they're halfway there and i say back nick back and they've got to just keep driving to that pile for the versatile dog folks to me this is where a lot of my friends who do NABDA don't do it well enough. And I think they could do more of this creating that. I don't want to go, but I have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, if the dog likes to go, I, you know how many people have told me why well, I didn't have to do force to pile because my dog loved picking up bumpers. Well, do it a hundred times and tell me on the <laughs> you know, 99th that they still like doing it. Find that number they, that they that you have to force them, and they've learned that it, right. I have to do it because he's telling me to, not just because I want to. That's right. So when you're at the utility test and the water's cold and there's a lot of distractions going on, they actually go when you say, not, mm, I don't know, I'm going to just pitter around this bank here right next to you. And, and so we create this, I have to go. And so I do forced to a pile. And then once that's done and it's not, you know, I don't do it for a month straight. It's five, 10 sessions, I guess. I don't really know. It depends on the dog and what they're giving me for effort. And when I determine that they know that that command is a command and not a, you know, request idea request. Right. Um, I'll do, I do mini T in this. This is also a part of where I'm teaching sit on the whistle. Um, and mini T is just small T pattern. It's where they 
are sitting down facing me. Think of a baseball field. You are, you as the handler are home plate, dogs at the pitcher's mound. You've got first, second, and third base. The right over is first base. The left over is third base. And you've got a right back and a left back. That would be to second base. And I simplify. I just start off with bumpers at an overpile. And I teach that and I get them really confident that. And then I get them to sit out in front of me and blow a whistle and just repetition, repetition, repetition. And then I do leftovers. And then there's only leftover bumpers. And then leftover and leftover and leftover. And then right back and right back and then left back. And then I put them all together until that dog on mini T can go right over, left over, right back, left back, sitting down on a whistle, looking good. Now I can start T pattern and teach him how to leave my side, stop on a whistle, turn and face me nicely. Cast right, tell them to go. And I work through all the kinks because they're not going to do it right. I'm going to work through all the kinks and get that really, really sexy. During that time, if you so choose, you can force to water. This is also a part that I feel like my NABDA friends don't do. Force to water means get in the water because I told you to, not because you like water. And we make it positive once they do it. So I don't want to sound like a hard, hard ass, but if I taught you how to turn pressure off and then you succeed and then I praise you, the reward is worth the stimulation. So I'm not high A, you know, screaming into the water. It's just a low to medium continuous stimulation. They get in the water, pressure's turned off. They get the bumper. Hey, what a dog. Atta boy, let's go. All right. Hey, what a dog. Heel. Ready? Good. Back. Pressure. Get in the water. Good dog. All right. And all of a sudden they've learned that when he says back, I got to go on land. I got to go on water. I better get in the water and I better stay in the water. So on a duck search, a lot of folks will have a hard time because the dog will go out, circle back, haven't found a duck and they'll come back to you or come back to shore near you and they'll quote unquote quit or fake hunt. Right. Mm -hmm. We've all seen that. Yep. That forced water teaches them that definitely don't come back to me without a duck. You just stay out there. Um, and then when we're doing duck search, I'll scatter so many ducks in that pond that they can't help, but be successful. And they, and they'll, and they'll be, you know, shackled ducks out there swimming around to create that chase. Like you had said earlier, build that drive, that highest reward that, you know, you know, ice cream Sunday after all your hard work. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a creme de la creme. And so we have created this, I have to, and now, oh my gosh, because I had to, it's the greatest thing ever. And that's how they become successful. And that's how they learn. And then you do repetitions. Um, so back to like the retriever and handling. So once I get them through T pattern, I like to do something called lining paths. And these are kind of controversial. Okay. Well, so lining path would be a mode strip in the grass with a white pole. And there'd be several of them. I have three and I teach the dog to hold the line through the white pole. And there's various differences. Like one, the middle one is further. So they've got to 
look past the other two white poles and drive past them. I've got one that goes past the tree. I've got one that, you know, kind of goes over a little roller and a hill. Real, real quick, when you say a mowed path, what what kind of height are we talking about on the grass that you're mowing a strip down? Are we talking waist high, chest high? What what are we talking about? Oh, great question. No, it's just um, just enough to from, get, give you a visual line to it, pretty right. much. That's right. So when I start out and it's springtime, the grass could be like just above your ankle, and then the mowed grass is mowed. And then as the summer goes on, it's like shin deep and then it's mowed. Okay. And then, you know, we brush hog it and it's a little less visible. But um, basically, like you said, just a visible path that's a straight line to a white pole with a white milk jug or a bucket. And, and what that does is, and these are like 100, 150, 125, 200. These are long, straight lines. And it teaches that dog to hold the line confidently. And, and you're incorporating that through pattern blinds and other handling drills that teach the dog how to handle, not just line. But to me, it really helps uh, an advanced dog. When you say back, they take a good initial line. An initial line is like the initial line. It's like the first piece of where you're aiming them. That's where they go instead of you say back and they take a 45 degree to your left and, and skirt where you want them to go. It's I say back and where you're facing and pointing, that's where you go. And they'll hold that line confidently longer, further, harder because you've built that confidence. So just real quick on the send off, and this may be kind of a, an amateur question or, or, or whatnot, but you know, everybody kind of has a different send off to where when you're saying that you're lining the dog up or you have the dog at heel or sit heel right by your side, is it just the direction your body's going or, you know, you have some people that get all the way down and they point the dog with their forearm oh, yeah. to where it's extended. Some, some guys do the tap on the head, you know, just what's your yeah. preference on the send off and getting a, a correct line of direction? All right. I love this question. This is the best question all night. <laughs> Maybe not. This is a good one though. <laughs> so, so a lot of the versatile folk will tap the dog on the back of the head and release the dog. I don't like, I don't like doing that on marks or on back because let's say you just gave me a direction and you're like, all right, Bob, I need you to take a, uh, a left at the, the tree stump down there and then you're going to turn right down the street at the red barn and uh you know you're going to see a couple cows and and at that farm you're going to turn another right and then you smack me on the back of the head and you'd be like wait where where'd that come from and now my my thought process has kind of changed and now i've got to go complete the task you just gave me yep okay so a lot of guys will release their dogs on that I don't like doing that. If they marked a bird or I need to send them on a, a blind or a duck search, I like to just give the command and send them. Now I have me and the dog have a job to do before that happens. And we'll get into that in a second. Now, the second thing you said was the guys that lean over the dog, like, you know, to paint a picture for people, I've got the dog on my left side 
I lean over the dog with my right hand and send the dog on, on the retrieve or, Mm -hmm. or back to me, dogs don't, they aren't picking up on where you're pointing. You point the dog with the dog. So I could be pointing complete 90 degrees from where that dog is looking. And that dog's not going to just turn and look 90 degrees. We have to line them up with our body and their body and get their head adjusted that way. Not lean over them, point at something and send them. That's not really how you create a good, good line. So what I do, and this would be like kind of where wagon wheel and these lining paths and this relationship and this cadence that we build comes in. And so I've got my dog at heel, dog's at, at my left side. I look down the pipes, tail, spine, head, all facing in the direction I want that dog to go. Now, if I've got tail, spine, and the head is looking left, center, and then right, right, center, then left. And they're just, that's called uh, uh, bugging, basically, is what we call it. But they're just, they're swinging their head left and right, left and right. They're not looking straight out. As soon as they look straight out, I'm going to tell them, good. And then they look off to the left. No, they come back to the center. Good. Right there. And they look to the right. No, they come back. So they're, everything else is lined up, but their head's just kind of looking for where you want them. And when I tell them good and they start to figure out what I'm asking of them mm-hmm. and we've done these lining paths and we, we've done this wagon wheel and they build confidence that when I tell them good right there, they're like, Oh shoot. Uncle Bob means right there they're going to perk their ears up. They're going to lock in on where I'm pointing them. And I'm going to say back. So I build a cadence with a dog. No, here. Good. Good. Right there. Back. And that confidence and that cadence will build confidence and they're going to go in a straight line. Um, so I use my body language and those kind of little cues help guide them to where I need them to look and face and go. And that, that is huge. Mm-hmm. So for instance, remember we were talking about Huey on that duck search and he was just like 15, 20 yards off. Mm-hmm. Well, when Nick, my hunting buddy was lining him up, he was facing the wrong way, gave him a back command. Huey was looking at the little land feature muskrat thingy dingy. He went to that, you know, when he said back, Sure enough, he went to where he wanted to go and then couldn't go anywhere else. If he had taken his time and pulled him a little further to the right, lined him up a little bit better, he might have skirted and didn't, you know, instead of going to those muskrats, he might have passed them and and found his duck. So that would have been a, an instance where he might, if he lined him up better, he might have had more success at getting him to the bird. So, I mean, that's, that's truthfully, that's very in-depth dog training. It's yeah. very like, that's, uh, that's somebody who's not a sick, hang, hanging out with a six month old puppy, <laughs> you know, that, that's a dog that's pretty well advanced, but, but that's all our goals, right? You know, absolutely. build the best dog we can. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm just curious with that. So when you, when you did train your Navda dogs with duck search, did you change up the command or did you just give it back as well? Cause some people change it up to, you know, they'll add the word dead in front of their command or they change it up. Like I, I personally do when I'm doing what, where I know that there's an actual down bird 
in that direction, I, I use fetch. And then when I'm doing a search, I use search, just kind of a different different expectation. Uh, that's really the only things that, that I separate out commands because I'm a believer in the least amount of commands as possible. Keep it simple. But I'm curious how you do it and how you look at it. Do you change up the command? Yeah. No, it's a great, great question. So, so, uh, yeah, I do cue a dog up on a dead bird. You know, um, I don't have to, a lot of the dogs that are older just know when I hear he'll sit good right there back, they just go, um, the younger dogs, you know, they, they're looking out for a mark, dead bird, dead bird. Good right here. Good back. Um, for a duck search, I say dead bird, good right there back. I mean, I literally run them as if I'm going to run a blind. I have not taught Huey. I've not taught any utility dog how to handle. They have never even done T pattern because I'm nervous, do T pattern and teach them to run blinds and then have them look for me. Right. So that is one step that I think would be wrong to do is to teach them to run blinds and then try and go past the, uh, a duck search. But, um, no, I queue them up just like I do a lab dead bird. Good right there back. Now to me, I don't. So this is the difference between a lot of the, the NABA folks and, and myself. When I say fetch, you better pick that son of a gun up right now and bring it here right now. Yeah. Do not pass go. Do not think twice, pick that up and bring it to me. And I've created and instilled this drive to fetch because of force fetch that if I say fetch to a dog, I don't, that's not a, Hey, go for 15 minutes and find me something that's go pick it up and bring it to me right now. And I'm, I hope my like speed of my voice is creating uh, an, an urgency in, in the listener, right? Like go pick it up, pick it up right now. <laughs> yeah. Go get it, 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 get it. Get it. No shopping, drop it, no, no dropping. No. Oh, I want this one. I want that one. No, just grab it and bring it here. That's right. Fetch, pick that yep. sucker up. Oh, I don't say fetch. I give on a mark. I say their name on a blind. I say during a duck search, I still say back because that's just how we, I train them. Yeah. But, um, I feel like no matter what, like Huey's going to come and run BC. I'm going to teach Huey how to run a real Labrador blind because I think that's cool and we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to cue him up just like I did duck search. Good right there back, man. And then I'm going to teach him to stop on a whistle. I'm going to teach him to handle. Um, so again, to kind of touch on that fetch command, it almost, if, if they saw the bird go down, what do you say? If, if they saw the bird go down, I just, yep. I just give a fetch. Okay. So you release them on fetch. Yes. So verse verse me, I release them on their name. Right. So what I worry about or have confusion on or think there might be confusion on the dog is, again, fetch means go get it and bring it back to me right now, meaning go get it and bring it back to me right now. Where what if that dog has to hunt and put its nose down and dig it out and, and increase its hunt radius and 
you know, I don't want them to feel stress or pressure to go and do it. I want them to feel comfortable and use their instinct and use their eyes, use their nose and, and find it yeah. and not feel this instinct or this uh, human pressure or perceived pressure from me that they better do it this instant. And if they don't do it this instant, they're, they're in trouble. Gotcha. Um, so that's where I, I do differ a little bit um, in my program. No, that, that, that makes sense, especially with how you build the drive and, and your expectations with, uh, with your force fetch program and just overall with your retrievers. And so for me, like, you know, that's when I say fetch, it's just like, I know that it's there. You saw it, it's marked, go get it. If you have to hunt, you Mm -hmm. know, go get it. But like you said, we do things a little different to where you, you create that expectation to where, you better find it right now and bring it back to me right now. Uh, whereas me and the other NAVDA guys that I've been around is just kind of like, yeah, go get it and bring it back. Uh, as, long right. as, as long as you're not dallying around or shopping, pick it up, drop it, pick it up, drop it, whatever. You know, we have those expectations, but we don't put really a, an emphasis on you better all but all the way back to me just like you went to go get it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and I think, dude, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I think the way you do it is just fine. That dog knows that it's released on the word fetch. Go get yeah. it and bring it back to you. It's, yeah. I'm sure that it doesn't have negative effects. Um, I do think people who tap the dog on the back of the head and, <laughs> you know, lean over the dog, that stuff in the peripheral vision and in the back of their head, they're thinking other things other than, you know, marking and running blind, you know, but especially, so especially swatting them in the head. I've seen some people that just smack the crap out of their dog on the head. And I'm like, what do you think you're getting out yeah. of that? <laughs> no, uh, I, I know. Yeah. Oh man. But so b- back to, uh, where, where this started with the lining paths. And, uh, so is the wagon wheel essentially an extension of the lining paths? You just have multiple spokes coming off that wheel essentially. Not really, because those lining paths, like I said, were 100 yards, 125 yards, 175 yards. They're they're out there. Yeah. The wagon wheel is in short mowed grass, and generally speaking, I, I do it kind of. I very simplify it. Uh, um, I'll have six to eight bumpers in a circle. I'm in the center of the circle with the dog, and all those bumpers. If you think about it, are spokes on the wheel like the line to those bumpers or spokes on the wheel. And this is where I'm getting the dog to understand, to push and pull with me and move with me on the line and line up nicely for a bumper and go to the one that I'm aiming you at. And it's kind of hard to describe via podcast, but let's say I got a, we're at, uh, the center of a clock and I'm at noon with a bumper the bumpers at noon and I'm at the center of the clock and I send the dog at the noon bumper and they veer off and try and pick up the 1030 bumper. That's unacceptable. No, here, sit down, good right there back. And they better go pick up noon. The dog, you throw noon bumper back out and you pull the dog to the two o'clock bumper and I pull the dog with here. So here, here, good, good right there back. 
and I go pick up two. I throw two back. I move to 3.30 or 4 o'clock. Good, right there, back. And let's say they go back to the 2 o'clock bumper because I just threw it out there. No, here. Sit down. Good, right there, back. And they go pick up the 4 o'clock bumper. And then I just go around this wagon wheel, and then I start doing heel. And heel pushes the dog. So here pulls, heel pushes. So now I go from noon to 10 to 9 to 6. Does that make sense? Like how I'm describing it? Perfect. Yeah. I'm tracking with you. All right. So I pull with here, I push with heel and I move around and the dog learns to, I don't want big movements on wagon wheel. I don't want them. When I say here, I don't want them to stand up, move big and sit back down. I want their butt to stay on the ground and I want them to move two inches with their two front feet and their head and then two, two inches. And, and so I'm making in, like small increment movements, incremental movements in the direction I want to pull and push. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine. I'm fine tuning to get the dog to move with me at the line and go where I tell them to go. And that's how we create good initial lines as well. Great. Yeah. Perfect. I, I track that a hundred percent. So I actually had kind of a misunderstanding or misrepresentation in my head about wagon wheel uh, before you just explained it that way. So that makes a lot more sense to me just being an outsider to the retriever world and not really doing that drill very much. Um, so backtrack to lining paths. You know, we, we do the the visual stimulation that you you said a white pole with a, a milk jug, you know, I've used buckets. Uh, some people have signs, yep. whatever, just like you said, when you, when you give that dog the good, you're looking in the right direction, their ears perk up and they know that's where they're going. How do you know when to start doing away with the visual cue? And do you backtrack all the way back up and start closer and then build your all, all the way back to where you were with the visual cue? great question so on my lining paths i just leave them as they are so i don't take away the white poles and just run lining paths with just bumpers at the end with no poles lining paths are to teach confidence and to teach good hard running lines then i'll take those same white poles and i'll put them in different fields and different areas and those white poles and the buckets or the milk, you know, white milk jugs on top help the dog visibly cue in on something at a distance and have something to strive for. So they've learned to be successful by looking out, seeing that thing in the distance that has bumpers at the bottom of it and hold a line. Now, they're not always going to do it. You'd have a white pole, you know, and, and they, they, see it and then they start to leave and then a terrain feature pulls them one way and you've got to stop them and cast them and then they follow and then they stop you stop and cast and then you're within 50 yards of it and you cast one more time and then they look and it's like oh there it is boom and i got it so i've got a year old dog year and change i mean maybe she's 14 months i don't know and this is what we're doing right now she's through t pattern she'll do I probably do lying pass once every other week now, whether it's not super ingrained anymore. Like we did it, she's done it. I can go to it tomorrow and she'll do it perfect. 
So it's not something I do every single day with her anymore. But now we're doing white pole blinds and we'll do a pattern blind to me. So people hear pattern blinds. Pattern blind is like I have a backyard. It's a hundred yards long and there's a big oak tree in the back and I put a pile of bumpers out there and I teach the dog to go to that oak tree no matter where I am and, and they just know go to the oak tree. Yeah. You've, cre- you've created a pattern that that oak tree is successful with bumpers in it. Same idea as a white pole, but, but that oak tree is your pattern. You can go to another field with another oak tree and they have no idea what you're st- pointing them at. <laughs> that white pole that white pole is your constant, right? That's your like North star yeah. where you can stick it out there in a field and there's nothing else to look at, but, you know, cross this road, angle across this thicker grass and, and go to your white pole. And because I've taught them how to sit on a whistle, because I've taught them how to cast, they're maneuvering through these challenges and then boom, there's the white pole. Hey, success. Or they get really good. And no matter how far you put that white pole, they pick it out and they hold a beautiful line and go and pick it up. Now, lining blinds is great. But what lining blinds doesn't teach a dog is how to handle. So we've got to build in at some point cold blinds, which means there's no white pole, no white bucket. And we're starting to teach them how to do it without any aid. And that again is finesse and timing and teaching and patience and not really something you can teach over a podcast because every dog is so different in that like i can tell you right now quinn the year you know 14 month old lab cannot do a cold nothing out there blind yet she will leave my side she will handle but her confidence goes down dramatically so I want to build confidence and I want to keep teaching and then I'll try another cold blind and I'll see how it goes. And then I'll integrate a few more white poles and then I'll do another cold blind and then I'll do two more cold blinds and then I'll do six more white pole blinds in the course of two weeks or a week. Hmm. So it's, it's a finesse game. I'm integrating and I'm teaching them how to handle while I'm also teaching them how to confidently hold the line and take a line. Perfect. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. You're, I mean, you're just teaching the dog at the pace of the dog, keeping the enthusiasm up, but you know, they have to have the confidence to take that next step. So that, that makes a lot of sense in my opinion. And yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we could probably talk three or four more hours, especially getting into this, um, because I I'm fascinated because it's, it's a completely different world than what I'm accustomed to. And I've, I've just scratched the surface barely with doing any of this with my dogs and it's just, it, it fascinates me to when you really, you know, you talk to a lot of NAVDA people or versatile dogs or upland dogs, you know, that they may not really understand what the retriever game's about, but when you really dig into it like that, how much, like you said, finesse goes into it, it, it really kind of opens up your eyes to there. It's more than just looking out in the field and saying fetch or back, you know, there, there's a lot more mm-hmm. to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I enjoy, I enjoy NAVDA. I enjoy the retrievers. I enjoy the challenge. Um, every dog teaches us something different. Every mistake they make, you know, 
it teaches us how to maneuver and handle and, and adapt and overcome and, and persevere. And, and so does the dog. They learn how to adapt and overcome. And again, we can quickly double back to when I said, what do you do with an eight week old puppy? We build confidence, yep. build a confident dog. And that dog will be able to achieve and believe that they can achieve anything you put in front of them. So it's pretty cool, man. I, I love it. And I, I loved talking with you. This was a great, great episode. Thank you for, for inviting me on your show. It's, it's been fun. Absolutely. I, I really enjoyed it and thanks for making the time. And I know we ran long, but like I said, I think, I think we could go on for another three or four more hours if we had enough beer. With us. <laughs> but, uh, I appreciate yeah. it, man. We'll, we'll have to dive deeper into the subject and get into some more advanced stuff later on down the road. But, uh, Again, thanks for coming on and your time, and we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.